Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I'm your host, Darrell McLean, and let's get into our episode. Is fully listener supported independent media that won't lead you to tribalism. You can get a membership for as little as three dollars a month at www.patreon.com slash the Darrell McLean show. We talk about a lot of serious topics on this show. One very serious topic is women's health. One company that stood out to me was vslay.com because the owner is very transparent about her own struggles in the women's health department and has great customer service, great deals, and frequent sales. You can check her out, her great customer service, products about women's health, and frequent sales at www.vslay.com. That is www.vslay.com. So I'm going to start this show off a little different, a smaller story today. Today is Monday, January 23rd. Uh, a lot of news since we did the last show, so I'm just going to jump right in. The four former top FBI official in New York has been charged in money laundering. So prosecutors say Charles McGonnell, who is the chief of counterintelligence in the city, took payments from Oleg Dukarpetsky to investigate a rival Russian oligarch. So our former high-level FBI official has been indicted on charges that he conspired to violate U.S. sanctions on Russia by taking secret payments from a Russian oligarch, Olav V. Derpowski, in return for investigating a rival oligarch, the authorities said on Monday, the former official, Charles McGonnell, who had been the special agent in charge of the FBI's counterintelligence division in New York before he retired in 2018, had supervised and participated in investigations of Russian oligarchs, including Mr. Derpaski, the government said. Federal prosecutors in Manhattan said that Mr. McGonagall, at age 54, violated the U.S. sanctions by agreeing to help Mr. Derpaski, who himself was indicted last year on sanctioned charges. So Mr. Derpaski, an alumni with ties to President Vladimir V. Putin, of Russia was a client of Paul Manafort, who for several months in 2016 served as Donald Trump's campaign chairman and in 2018 was convicted of financial fraud and other crimes. 
The indictment unsealed in federal district court in Manhattan on Monday charges the former FBI official with one count of violating U.S. sanctions, one count of money laundering, and two conspiracy counts. Uh, the lawyer, uh, Seth D. DeCurum, said his client intends to plead not guilty at his appearance in federal court in Manhattan. Charlie served the United States capably, effectively for decades, said Mr. Duncan. We have closely reviewed the accusations made by the government, and we look forward to reviewing discovery so we can get a view of what evidence is upon which the government intends to rely. The indictment also charged a second man, Sergei uh, Sestakov, a former Soviet and Russian diplomat who later became an American citizen and worked as a Russian interpreter for courts and government offices. Mr. Service Cost lawyer Bennett M. Eckstein declined to comment. Uh, Mr. McGonnell's arrest shocked former colleagues who worked closely with him. They said he primarily investigated Russia counterintelligence and espionage during his lengthy career with the FBI. And Mr. McGonnell also took on extremely sensitive assignments in the intelligence community, leading an FBI team that investigated why the CIA informants in China were being arrested and killed. So, it seems to not matter how high up in the echelons of whatever organization you may be in, if you are going to be a crook and do crimes, you are going to do crimes. I was watching a very interesting, I think it had four episodes in it, if I uh, remember it serves me correctly, came out this year uh, about uh, Bernie Madoff. And I had kind of the same uh, viewpoint. It does not matter how much money. It doesn't matter how much press steam. It doesn't matter who is being hurt. It doesn't matter the type of information. It doesn't matter the loyalty oaths you take or the, the statements you make about loyalty or about decency or about anything else. It seems that if there is a price high enough a lot of people are going to take it and here you have a former top FBI official I assume that that was a difficult job to get difficult to hold those certifications difficult to keep uh, those secrets but apparently it wasn't enough money he has to be charged with money laundering and now has besmirched his career and will more than likely, if found guilty, end up in federal prison. As we used to say in the 90s, you do the crime, you do the time. So I don't feel bad for this uh, person. If they did what they did, they deserve the penalty like anybody else. You sold out your country for a few shekels and you should be punished for it. So I'm sad to have to report that once again, America is confronting the aftermath of a gun uh, massacre. American tragedy, a gun shooting, a gunman shot to death 10 people and injured at least 10 others on Saturday at a ballroom dance studio in a Montreal park in California, a city about 6,000 people east of Los Angeles. He opened fire as many people in the city which is predominantly Asian, were celebrating the eve of the Lunar New Year. Many of the victims were in their 50s and 60s, says Sheriff Robert Luna of Los Angeles County, though he did not identify them. The gunman, whom authorities identified as a 72-year-old Hun Chan Tran, 
is believed to have then gone to a dance hall in the neighboring city of uh, Alberum, but he fled, according to authorities. Officials and officers later found him in a parked van after he reportedly shot himself to death. The gunman used a magazine-fed automatic assault pistol that is probably not legal in California, Luna said. His motives remain under investigation. Gun violence needs to stop, Luna said. There is too much of it. The kind of mass shooting has become tragically common in the U.S. What would be a rare horror in any other developed country is typical here. Yet the case is no mystery. America has an enormous amount of guns, making it easier for someone to carry out a deadly shooting. It is a point that the New York Times has made before, and I think I have it all over the world. There are people who argue, fight over relationships, suffer from mental health issues, or whole racist views, but in the U.S., these people can more easily obtain a gun and shoot someone. The data bears out this explanation. The U.S. is a clear outliner for both civilian gun ownership and the number of gun deaths among the world's developed countries, and there is a chart that was done by Ashley Wood of the uh, New York Times, and I put that chart in the show notes for everybody to study on their own. And it is the ownership rates, uh, homicide rates uh, for a few years from 2017 through 2018, and the sources are the Small Arms Survey. Now, if anything, the chart, which uses data from 2017 and 2018 underestimates America's problems. The U.S. rate of gun homicides has increased in recent years, according to the Small Arms Survey. The data exposes a clear trend where there are more guns, there are more gun deaths. Studies have found this to be true at a state and at a national level and for homicides, suicides, mass shootings, and police shootings. Stricter regulations on firearms are linked to fewer gun deaths, but efforts to reduce access to firearms have mostly stalled in the United States, unable to overcome the Supreme Court's uh, interpretations of the Second Amendment mixed public opinion, and closely divided federal government. So America continues to suffer from more and more mass shootings and gun deaths than, than, peers, than its peers. Uh, Monterey Park, California is simply the latest of the tragedies. I said this a long time ago, and it bears repeating. And as sad as it may seem, what I said during that period of time was, this is as American as uh, apple pie. Americans are very distrustful of each other, and we are actually very distrustful of the government. That interpretation of the Second Amendment that a lot of people on the Supreme Court holds is that a gun is actually not just for the protection of one individual against another individual. It is the protection of one individual against a tyrannical government. And because a lot of people have that view and a lot of people actually see the government as tyrannical normally, anytime that their party happens not to be in power, it clings us more closely to those guns because we not only can't stand, have disdain or contempt for our neighbors, we also cannot stand, does not, do not trust and we have contempt for our government. So that comes with a heavy price. And every month, like I said before, every month somebody is going to be sacrificed on the altar of our contempt 
and our hatred and our mistrust and our clingingness, our ability to cling to guns. And of course, when it happens, we will hear the, the, the predictable debates as well as the crocodile tears as well as the thoughts and prayers. Well, so, uh, we'll, we'll get the names of these, these victims. The person who did it can't get any vengeance upon him because he's already dead. He killed himself. And we just move on to the next time when we have to talk about this subject again. In, uh, horse race politics news, which I think the next three or four stories is going to be about, uh, Jeffries, so that's Hakeem Jeffries, has uh, submitted the list of names that he wants on the Intel panel. Uh, and this is going to force a fight with the new uh, majority leader of the House. Uh, so the head of the House Democrats has submitted Rep. Adam Schiff, the Democrat of California, and Eric Swalwell, the Democrat from California, to sit on the powerful Intelligence Committee, setting up a battle with the Republican leaders who are vying to keep them off the panel. Separately, uh, Democrats this week are also expected to uh, seat Rep. Ilan Omar, the Democrat from uh, Michigan, on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, according to sources familiar with the Democrats' plans, which will likely prompt GOP leaders to hold a floor vote to remove her. In a letter sent Saturday to Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the Republican from California, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat from New York, said Schiff, the top Democrat on the intelligence panel, and Swalwell are both eminently qualified to continue their service on the committee. Jeffers requested that McCarthy seat them there. Together, these two members uh, have over two decades of distinguished leadership providing oversight of our nation's intelligence community in addition to their prosecutorial work in law enforcement prior to serving in Congress, Jeffers wrote. The developments were first reported on Monday by Punchbowl News. Unlike most committees, however, the House uh, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence has special rules empowering the Speaker to assign the panel's members in consultation with the minority leader. That means McCarthy can also decline to set members without relying on a full House vote. Historically, that process has proceeded without controversy, and the minority party's recommendations have been seated, but Republicans have been up in arms since 2021 when Democrats staged successful votes to remove two Republicans, Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia and Paul Gosar from Arizona from the committee's assignments, and McCarthy has vowed since then to keep Schiff and Swalwell from returning to the intelligence panel, a pledge he amplified on Capitol Hill last week. Quote, what I am doing with the Intel Committee is bringing it back to the jurisdiction it's supposed to do for looking to keep this country safe, keep politics out of it, McCarthy told reporters in the Capitol. So, yes, I'm doing exactly what we're supposed to do, he added. Skiff, a former chairman of the Intelligence Committee, had led the investigation into former President Trump's ties to Russia and Republicans as have accused him of lying to the public during the course of those probes. In Swalwell's case, Republicans have highlighted his ties to a suspected Chinese spy who he had helped fundraise for Swalwell's uh, 2014 re-election campaign, which were first revealed in 2020. 
After the FBI informed Swellwells of their concern, he cut ties with the Chinese national and has said McCarthy's decision to remove him from the Intelligence Committee is purely vengeance. Uh, Swift also served as lead house manager for uh, Trump's first impeachment trial, while Swalwell served as manager for the second. Fact checkers have repeatedly found the GOP's accusations uh, accusations to be false, and Democrats maintain that McCarthy's threats are merely another promise to the conservative detractors who fought to deny him the Speaker's gavel earlier this month. Jeffers, in his letter, sought to carve out a distinction between the scenarios, noting that both Green and Gosar were removed after revelations that they had promoted violent actions against Democrats, and both votes received Republican support as well. Now, this action was taken by both Democrats and Republicans, giving this seriousness of the conduct involved, particularly in the aftermath of the violent insurrection and the attack of the Capitol, Jeffries wrote. It does not serve as a precedent or justification for the removal of Representative Schiff's and Swalwell, given that they never exhibited violent thoughts or behaviors. He also pointed out that McCarthy and the Republicans recently gave two committee posts to uh, Rep. uh, George Santos, the Republican from New York, who is under fire for a series of resume fabrications and questionable campaign finance activities. Jeffers called him a serial fraud fraudster. The apparent double standards risk undermining the spirit of bipartisan corruption that is so desperately needed in Congress, Jeffers wrote. Under the Intelligence Committee rules, rank and file members are limited to four cycles, and Captain Swallow has hit, meaning that Jeffers waived that limit in order to force McCarthy to make good on a promise not to seat him, uh, Schiff, as ranking members. Ex- exempt for the cap. Separately, the House Democrats steering a policy committee is scheduled to meet this week to finalize the party's commitment roster, including the expected move to put Omar on and one of three Muslim lawmakers in Congress on the foreign affairs panel. The Minnesota Democrat and, and Somali refugee has highly been highly critical of Israeli government and its supporters, particularly on the issues related to Palestinian rights, leading to charges of anti-Semitism. In 2019, one episode, Omar was forced to apologize after suggesting that wealthy Jews are buying congressional support for Israel. Unlike the intelligence panel, McCarthy cannot block members of foreign uh, committee unilaterally. The GOP leaders are expected to stage a vote to remove her from the panel, and was as was the case for Green and Gosar. Ilan Omar has been a very interesting figure in her uh, time in Washington. A lot of the opposition to her early on was because we were at the we were in the nine eleven period of life, um, the never forget period, and the new atheists were very very popular so you had your Christopher Hitchens your Sam Harris Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett and a lot of them were seen as Islamophobic and everybody was talking about radical Islam and the Wahhabi sects of Islam etc and then there comes this Muslim congresswoman and there was a attempt to ride the wave of that Islamophobia and try to not let it was it was her opposition to Ilan Omar a Muslim woman who uh, was very critical of some of the policies of Israel I have seen 
for a very long time all kinds of conspiracies about Elon Omar, including his popular saying on the right that she married her brother and everything like that. So... Stay with us. We'll be right back. It goes without saying that this show does not happen without listener support. Support the Jerome McLean show by going to www.patreon.com and getting a membership for $3. Or you can go to buzzsprouts.com slash McLean show and hit the subscribe button and join there. Many ways to donate to the show. Independent media that won't reinforce tribalism. We have one planet. Nobody is leaving, so let us reason together. www.patreon.com slash the McLean Show or go to Bus Sprouts and to the Jerome McLean Show and subscribe. She won the election and sent shockwaves through uh, the GOP, even though she was a Democrat, and then after her her remarks about uh, when she picked that fight, which I think is a fight to have over the treatment of uh, Palestinians in the West Bank and several areas in Israel, and she won re-election, and she's a member of what is in Washington uh, called the Squad. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see her on any of these panels. Um, yeah, so. But but all that is inside baseball stuff to who gets this committee seat and who does what and who says what. And but for the most part, it's when you're not in power, it's basically you just uh, giving speeches, basically. It's, but but committee committee seats can be important but it all depends on the the cue and the cut of the giblet of the person sitting on the committee speaking of uh people in power and powerful people and how they wield it the mcconnell so the former majority leader who is now the minority leader of the senate uh, the grim reaper himself uh, mitch mcconnell is a key player in the approaching debt ceiling fight. So Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky, is set to play a pivotal role in a debt ceiling fight expected to consume Washington in the next coming weeks and possibly months. The Republican leader is a central figure in the fight between conservative House Republicans and determined to win huge cuts to, uh, to domestic spending and to White and to the White House that is a... Uh, set this stage in the game is refusing to negotiate spending cuts for a debt ceiling hike. Any debt ceiling increases must pass both the Senate and the House, meaning McConnell will likely need to deliver GOP votes behind some kind of compromise if the government is to avoid defaulting on its payments, something that would rupture stock markets, threaten the U.S. credit rating, and shake the underlying economy. Now, quote, McConnell might as well be on a tightrope hovering over the Ni- Nigeria Falls at this point, one former Senate GOP leadership aide said of the challenges ahead for McConnell, who has been at the center for a number of past negotiations and deals that allowed the debt ceiling to be raised by Democratic presidents and Republican houses. 
McConnell will face calls to deliver real spending cuts for business conservatives who see a chance to enact change while convincing the public that Republicans are not putting the economy at risk to satisfy the loudest and most vociferous voices in the House GOP. And he'll need to do this after a disappointing midterm election from his party that left him short again of a Senate majority. This is going to be a defining moment for the party, not only for how we can stand tall for fiscal sanctity on the spending side, but how we can convince independents that we're the responsible party of government, which includes not endangering the full faith and credit of the United States, the GOP leadership aide said. McConnell gave the first signals of how he will handle the crisis on Thursday, insisting the U.S. would not default on its debts and that he would not be concerned about the financial crisis coming to fruition. He said he said he expects a negotiation of some kind with President Biden's administration, but declined to delve any deeper. The main negotiation is expected to take place between President Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the Republican from California, with the two saying on Friday that they look forward to sitting down and discussing the situation soon. Senator Susan Collins, a Republican of Maine, also noted that she expects the lion's share of talks to take place between the White House and House Republicans. Nevertheless, McConnell will face pressure from within his own Senate caucus to win something from Republicans in the standoff. It's going to be a really tall task, said Senator Kevin Kramer, a Republican from North Dakota, and he told that to the Hill, and he also voted against raising the debt ceiling twice in late 2021. Mitch always insists we have to raise the debt ceiling, and I think most Republicans would agree with him on that, he said. But he seems to almost give away any leverage by insisting that we cannot and will not let the country default. It's a great and a nice message to Wall Street, but it's a kind of lousy message to your competitor uh, or your opponent, Kramer continued. At the same time, Kramer offered a note to McConnell, uh, Sagacity, uh, noting with a laugh, every time I think Mitch is wrong, he turns out to be uh, right. The House GOP has already agreed to write their fiscal 2024 appropriations bills at the fiscal 2022 levels and move that would cut $130 billion in spending. Democrats have not agreed to uh, enacting those cuts, nor have some Senate Republicans, Kramer, dismiss them as not realistic and a pipe dream. McConnell has a long history of brokering deals with Biden, which Democrats are noting privately. Just look at the last couple of years. Mitch is the grown up in the room. On the other side, one House Democrat told The Hill, Biden and McConnell famously helped negotiate a 2012 agreement to avoid the fiscal cliff that an absent a deal would have increased taxes and enacted deep spending cuts. In October 2021, McConnell swung a two-month extension of the debt ceiling to ward off the possibility that Democrats might do so by nullifying the filibuster. Before doing so, McConnell consulted with Senator uh, Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, and Kristen Sinema, now the independent from Arizona, who were under pressure to nix the 60 votes uh, threshold to move the debt limit bill. McConnell also noted at the time that Republicans would not allow a routine debt limit increase to take place as long as Democrats pursued the Build Back Better agenda, which was being pressured under a legislative process that prevented Republicans in the Senate 
from blocking it. He also cobbled together a group of 14 other Republicans, including members of the leadership and moderates, to break a filibuster on a package two months later that allowed Democrats to raise the ceiling on their own by $2.5 trillion. However, according to multiple Senate GOP sources, there was frustrating surrounding the December 2021 vote to end the debate. Among some of those members, McConnell had said in a letter shortly after the two-month increases was passed that the party would not help Democrats do uh, so again, leading to criticism from GOP corners. McConnell is also now dealing with bitterness from Republicans in the House and the Senate over the last month's passage of the omnibus bill. Several House Republicans during that fight uh, to make McCarthy's Speaker referenced that bill in demanding changes. The reason I think this is going to be harder is at some point political capital gets spent faster than it gets renewed and the omnibus costs a lot, Kramer said. It's been brutal. How each side gets to the table in the coming months remains unclear. Manchin last week was the only Senate Democrat to indicate a willingness to negotiate on the debt ceiling, noting that he spoke with McCarthy about trying to increase with the increase with the Trust Act, a bill that he co-authored with Senator Mitt Romney, the Republican from Utah, to create a rescue committee to look into Medicare, uh, Social Security, and other government trust funds that are endangered. You have to do something, the former Senate GOP leadership aide continued, and if Republicans are saying cut spending and Democrats keep saying do nothing, then it really it feels like we're really far apart. Nothing is going to happen until we're staring down the storm, the aide added. This is always a very interesting fight because this fight always shows who actually runs Washington because the the faith and the credit of the U.S., when that is threatened, what normally happens is the people on Wall Street uh, flex their muscles and they flex it very hard. And they normally come out and prove that they own both parties and they are not interested at all in that type of uncertainty. I remember last time when this happened, it was very interesting to see everybody who were in the billionaire and in the donor class, everybody from uh, Warren Buffett to Bill Gates um, uh, come out, Mike Bloomberg uh, come out and say, oh, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to raise the debt ceiling because they... Uh, know how serious that is even the threat of it not being raised uh, dropped uh, the U.S. credit rating one year so this is always uh, something that they pull out and eventually they argue over cutting the parsley instead of focusing on what uh, one of the biggest behemoths of the U.S. budget which is defense spending so Alec Baldwin uh, the actor Alec Baldwin and a weapon specialist will actually be charged with involuntary manslaughter in the fatal shooting of a cinematographer on a New Mexican movie set. Prosecutors announced this on Thursday, so last Thursday, citing a criminal disregard for safety. Uh, Helena Hutchins died shortly after being wounded during a rehearsal at a ranch on the outskirts of Santa Fe on October 21, 2021. Baldwin was pointing a pistol at Hutchins when the gun went off, killing her and wounding the director, uh, Joel Souza. And that was according to the AP News. Now, from the right, the right supports the charges, arguing that Baldwin behaved irresponsibly. 
From the left, the left is skeptical of the charges, arguing that actors are not responsible for guns they handle on set. So let's listen to the right for a second. It's hard to see how Baldwin couldn't have been charged with this with at least involuntary manslaughter. The first rule of gun safety is you do not point a gun at something unless you intend to shoot. Even if you believe the gun is unloaded, you don't point it directly at others. Baldwin didn't follow basic gun safety when he shot his cinematographer Hutchins. Also, anyone who had been to a shooting range would have been drilled that and had that drilled into them. And Baldwin, an actor for 40 years who has been in many movies using guns, more surely have had this explained to him many times. Now that is from John R. Lott Jr. from The Federalist. Baldwin, the actor has maintained that despite his dereliction of duty and checking the chamber of the gun for bullets, he didn't actually pull the trigger of the gun when he aimed it directly at Hutchins. After investigating the shooting, the FBI determined that his claim was false. But Baldwin, the producer, could not possibly escape justice via cinematics and the cock and bull stories, shooting a woman to death with a gun that had not been checked for bullets on a set where producers tolerated uh, plickling our playing target practice with live rounds may have been unintentional, but it was no mere accident. It's an issue here are not all ill intentions, but Baldwin's hubris and carelessness about others' lives. That is from Tina Lowe of the Washington Examiner. Baldwin has blamed the armor of the producers, literally anyone he could think of other than himself. He told George Stephanopoulos that he was loving the process of making a film, which was not the only star but the producer. And then this gun goes off ruining everything, but guns don't go off by themselves, end quote. As a producer, Baldwin's were responsible for the labor issues on the set and the late payments that called disgruntled crew members to walk off of Russ' set by the day Hutchins was killed. He has barely addressed that in any interview he has given on the subject. Baldwin holds the final responsibility for Hutch's death in his role as producer. He should have ensured the industry safety standards were being followed. He should have made sure that the people he hired do their jobs were capable of doing them. End quote. And that comes from Libby Emmis of the New York Post. Now, so I uh, somewhat have, uh, I think some good points were made there. Uh, I was a former master at arms uh, when I worked for the Department of Homeland Security, or uh, better yet, the Department of Defense under the Department of the Navy. When I worked for the Department of Homeland Security under Federal Protective Services, those four rules were nailed into us. And I must admit that that is a very true observation. We used to say treat never keep keep treat never keep keep treat every weapon as if it was loaded was number one treat every weapon as if it was loaded number two never point a weapon at anything you do not intend to shoot keep finger off the trigger and in a safe position until ready to fire keep weapon on safe until you intend to fire treat never keep keep it has been years since i've actually had to repeat that at a guard mount but because I had been saying it from the age of 19 to 29, I still remember it. And then when I went in the private sector at the age of 29 and didn't retire till I was 36, we had the same standards. Treat every weapon as it was loaded. Never point a weapon at anything you do not intend to shoot. Keep your finger off the trigger until ready to fire. 
keep your weapon on safe until you intend to fire. Now the left is skeptical of charges arguing that factor that actors are not responsible for guns they handle. Quote, yes, usually it is the responsibility of the person holding the gun to not point it at anyone unless they intend to shoot. It is usually the responsibility of the person holding the gun to know for sure whether it is locked it's loaded by checking the car, the carriage before they do anything else. But this was a movie set where responsibilities are delegated and actors have every reason to believe that guns that they're being handed are props or at least unloaded are loaded with blanks. Uh, I would guess that a great many actors have never held, owned, fired a gun outside a movie set, just like many actors have never outside of a movie set scaled buildings, performed surgery, won sword fights, given birth, or walked flawlessly in stilettos. It's acting in movies by definition a space of fantasy and falsity and faking it, which is why there's a team of pros nearby to make the faking look real. That is from Jill Filipozik uh, uh, of CNN. In announcing the indictment, Baldwin, the district attorney, Santa Fe County, had this to say. He has an absolute duty to know what is what, what it is in the gun that is being placed in his hand is safe. Well, maybe. But if there's an absolute duty, what is it? What is its source? Over the years, several actors have shot someone with a gun they thought to be safe. Yet I found not a single instance in which the actor was charged. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, what about Baldwin, the producer? The Russ crew, including the props team, has complained about the difficult working conditions and long hours that might have well contributed to an unsafe environment. If true, that's serious wrongdoing. Still in cases, I am aware of the liability of the production team has been adjudicated in civil, not criminal courts. Here, Baldwin has settled a wrongful death action filed by the, by the cinematographer's husband already. End quote. That is from Stephen L. Carter from Bloomberg. Whatever the legal outcome, this was a tragedy that should have never happened again. Why can't Hollywood screen wizards create the effects of firearms without having to use even prop guns with dummy rounds? If they can make an actress look like uh, Megan and all dolls that terrify moviegoers in droves, why can't they simulate a firearm discharge and the recoil that shooters experience without having a real weapon on set? Now that comes from the editorial board of the Los Angeles Times. A libertarian's take is Baldwin is guilty of some pretty unsavory things as chronicled in 2021 by S.C. Cup in the New York Daily News. The actor has had a series of high-profile incidents that call into question his judgment, which includes using racial slurs, uh, and using slur using slurs against gay people and assaulting a man over a parking spot, but having a loathsome past doesn't render someone guilty of manslaughter. Even the most distasteful defendants deserve the same level of fairness to have their charges evaluated based solely on the facts at hand. It remained it reminded me of the case against Kyle Rittenhouse, who was prosecuted for shooting three men and killing two during the 2020 riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin. If you watched the trial in full, it was abundantly clear that he acted in self-defense despite being objectionable character, many of people. But Rittenhouse was a symbol, his prosecution almost a foregone conclusion, demanded by the political movement, and juries aren't supposed to deliver convictions based on how popular a defendant is, in quote by Billy Benson from Reason Magazine, or from Reason, I just say. So, uh, in, in a surprising, surprising, surprising uh, turn of events, Alec Baldwin is going to have to fight off these charges. 
And uh, I think I have already said my opinion on the matter. I do think that there is some culpability. I I, ha- I know of no gun uh, like the one that he used at Rust that can be fired without you manipulating the trigger. And if there was horseplay going around, I have experienced in my own professional career a, a people playing with their guns on post. There used to be a game called Do You Trust Me? And there was a situation at a Bay facility I worked at one time where a, a sailor pulled out his gun playing Do You Trust Me? And he shot another sailor. And the sailor had to be hella uh, vacked to the hospital where he died three times or so on the way to the hospital, but lived. And that sailor was held culpable. Uh, even though that is a different situation, but it was because he put his hand in the trigger guard. He pulled that weapon out. He pointed it at another individual and he shot them. I think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that you have to take responsibility. Uh, I do not believe that Mr. Baldwin did this on purpose, but I do think that it is uncontroversial or unrefutable to say that he did do it. So it does seem like if somebody was killed and somebody was, and it was not voluntary, but it came to your from your hands, that it was involuntary and the person is dead. And so they were slaughtered. So I think the crime fits if he will be punished for it is another story. And so we, I'm going to keep paying attention to this. Uh, Alec Baldwin is a high profile person, so it will probably be in the news when the trial does start. And I'll keep you guys abreast of what's going on. Now, before I close out the show, I'm going to just make you guys aware of something that I probably have, uh, Maybe maybe I just have not been doing a great job communicating this. The Daryl McLean Show is on Twitter. The Daryl McLean Show is on Facebook. The Daryl McLean Show is active on Instagram. I do take show questions. Uh, you can inbox me the questions or you can direct message them on a picture or anything like that. I do not find it offensive, and I do try my best to respond to them. Uh, sometimes I actually even engage in debates with people, uh, which is very common, actually, on the Darrell McLean Facebook page. Now, I did receive uh, some show questions today. Uh, the first question was, in your best estimate, under what circumstances will Nancy Pelosi retire, barring no health issues? So the former speaker of the United States House of Representative Nancy Pelosi is currently 82 years old. Uh, she did officially step down from a very important role, which was the speaker of the House. And she recently gave that speakership over to Hakeem Jeffers. Now, whether Nancy Pelosi is going to retire or not is a very interesting one because I can say off the bat, I don't think that she's interested as of late of retiring. It is actually very common for people in uh, D.C. to stay in power well in their, their 80s. One of the oldest people that comes directly to mind 
is uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, who herself is currently 90 years old. And she just actually filled paperwork to run again in 2024. Famously, uh, Senator John McCain, uh, he died in office uh, at the age of 81. Um, it is... I, I would just say kind of a toss-up. A lot of people, when they get those jobs in the Congress and the Senate, they really don't retire. It's, it's Some people do step down, but a, a lot of them do seem to die in power. I don't know why Nancy Pelosi would want to do such a thing. Her husband was just uh, involved in, one, a break-in, so an attack, and two, a very public uh, DUI. Uh, which he was arrested for and charged. And uh, so um, I I, uh, I do think that her stepping down from the very top of power does somewhat send us a signal. But uh, I think the telltale sign will be if she is not put on any committees so if she doesn't uh, t- take any committee seats or she's not put on any committee i think that is the signal that she is getting ready to step down now where nancy pelosi is, is as far as her position um in her district it's a very uh safe district that she is in obviously she's a democrat from california and she's uh so if she does step down even if she were to step down now, there is a precedent that the governor of that state can appoint the, uh, somebody to that position. The governor of California is obviously uh, Gavin Newsom. So, of course, he would support a, dem- a Democrat. So, it, it, at this point, the Repo- Republicans uh, had a lot of retirements, surprisingly, during the Trump years. And there are a lot of Democrats who I have been reading are getting ready to retire. I have read nothing that Nancy Pelosi is one of those people. So it's just pure speculation. Uh, the median age for people in the Congress and Senate is actually fairly interesting when you look at it. So the median age for Democrats is actually 60.6. Um, uh, and, and that's in the Senate and the Congress for Democrats. It's like at 58 and a half. So like 58.4 is the, what actually what it said for Republicans in the House. It's actually a 58.7. And in, in the Senate, it is actually 57.3. So she is it, it kind of up there. I mean, the boomers are silent, but they actually still have the most seats in Congress. Those numbers of uh, the millennials and the Gen Zers is actually moving up slightly. I'm actually going to put a Pew Research study on the median age of the different uh, people in the Congress and the Senate in the show notes. But I will just say this. It is actually very rare for people in power to step down, especially um, you know, when they don't have very rigorous jobs, you know, they're not 
out. They're not construction workers. Uh, so thank you for that question. And uh, I always think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg when I think about stuff like that. Uh, people who die in power. But I don't want to just talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, Antin Scalia, the famous Supreme Court, uh, conservative Supreme Court justice, a brilliant mind. Uh, uh, by many a brilliant mind not not a not uh, trying to be partisan here about this uh he died while uh, holding a seat and that's that tends to to be uh the norm um i got another show question as well and this one is about the airlines airlines scheduling flights and tickets they know that they cannot deliver why is it pete Buttigieg stepping up to crack down on this practice so um I think to the the flat out honest answer is is that Pete Buttigieg is in a position that he is not equipped to handle. Pete Buttigieg is somebody that is like any Beto O'Rourke uh, type of person that the Democrats like because he checks off all the boxes. On the stump, he's. Uh, uh, a very good speaker in, in, a, in a debate style format um, he is also likable enough I've seen him actually go on Fox News he's been one of the Democrats not afraid to go on Fox News several times and can see seems to hold his own and even getting some applause in some Fox News town halls but I think that it was just a them wanting to give him a position because he bent the knee when it, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden were fighting it out and headed to uh, South Carolina. And right before that happened, when uh, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, uh, and the Andrew Yang, uh, Bloomberg, all these people decided they were going to drop out at the same time. That was somewhat his reward, getting a nice cabinet position or a, a nice uh, appoint, appointment that I think they everybody thought was going to be an easy job. And now he has figured out that it is not. And I think he is still trying to figure out what his authority is in that position. And what happens in this type of situation is he is going to realize that he, maybe he has realized like every other person in those positions is that the book actually stops with the CEOs and the unions. And if the airline industry is saying that they don't have enough pilots, if they're saying that they're going to raise the prices, if they're saying they're going to do cancellations and they do, are they book flights that they don't have passengers? I mean, that they don't have pilots to even fly and they don't have crew to man, and they double book tickets. It happens because the people in power allow it to happen. They're not interested in trying to regulate them. They, and in and I think it sucks only in ways because they know that they have, for, for the lack of better terms, uh, the people in D.C. by the balls. And... Pete Buttigieg in this position seems ill-equipped and he looks to go at least in my humble observation from one crisis to the next he had and a lot of it to be to be honest it may be out of his control the entire thing with the rail workers and when they were supply chain issues everybody looked right at Pete Buttigieg about what he was going to do to solve that problem and he was not in Washington at the time. He was actually on uh, paternity leave. And so 
he he took a hit for that and he's going to take a hit for this a hit for this as well this is going to hurt pete if he tries to run for president again and so the answer to the question is i think pete Buttigieg is ill-equipped for that position and to be honest i think that most people in that position would probably be ill-equipped facing some of the things that have had to face and a lot of it is something that you cannot cure which is greed imagine that uh the providence of god the show started off with us talking about greed and it will end with us talking about greed somewhat i want to play a blast from the intellectual past uh just because of what I'm going to have to talk about on tomorrow's show, which is going to have to be a conversation again about policing in America. Yes, about some of the recent deaths uh, from uh, police involved shootings that uh, is uh, we're going to I'm going to have to reckon with and deal with again um, and in, in, uh, in, in a nuanced way as well as talk about the tensions with uh, Trump and evangelicals on tomorrow's show. Uh, DeSantis sparking outrage with his rejection of American African-American studies class and much, much more. See you on the next episode. We say we demand an immediate end to police brutality and mob attacks. But that's nice. That's nice. Negroes know how to march the minute a white policeman kill a black brother. But every weekend, we're sending each other to the morgue, and ain't nobody saying nothing. How can you stop the white man's murder of you when you won't stop murdering yourself? Thank you for listening to today's episode. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com and getting a membership for as little as $3 a month. Again, that's www.patreon.com slash The Darrell McLean Show. Show is fully listener supported, independent media that won't lead you to tribalism. Get a membership and support independent media at www.patreon.com/slash the Jerome McLean Show.